Hey everyone, it's glad to see that you've decided to join us for worship today. Um, you know, I'm your host, Pastor Jason. Just wanted to give uh, you a heads up on what you can kind of expect uh, during the worship services today. Um, here in a few moments, we're going to spend some time just singing some songs and and uh, lifting up praise to God for what He's done for us this week and how um, He's brought us through yet another week of this pandemic and just uh, the, the year 2020. As uh, hopefully we're drawn to a, an end and into a great 2021. Um, you know, today and then after our singing, we're going to kind of continue our message series. Um, welcome to the neighborhood, and Pastor James is going to be delivering that message, um, kind of leading into what it means to bring light into the the, the neighborhood of darkness, and, um, and what we're there. You know, we're so glad you decided to join us today. You know, we want to make sure that we're staying connected to you. So if you would, make sure you're filling out your connection card with us, and you can go to salemfields.com slash contact, and we can make sure that we're getting all the information from you on how we can best serve you as your pastors here. You know, now it's just time to sit back, relax, set aside all the distractions, and enjoy this time of worship, and we'll see you after the service. Heaven comes to earth. 
that you came and you moved into the neighborhood and became like us so that we could become like you. And so, Father, we gather in this space and online and around the world to worship the one who is Emmanuel. Thank you, Father, for being the God who, per, who relentlessly pursues us. In our darkness, you bring light. And so, Father, today we worship you. We more than just worship you with our words. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you afresh and anew. To the God who is Emmanuel. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good to see you this morning, Salem Fields. Uh, 
Good to see you, and I'm glad you're here, and you're looking good from what I can see. Good to see those who are uh, also online with us today, and we want to remind you uh, uh, some of the things that we're going, the things that we're doing. Registrations rem- remind you to register. That helps us to kind of make seating arrangements and different things like that. And um, we also want to encourage you to, to check in online on Facebook. So if you have your phones and you're in our auditorium here, you can go right to uh, Selling Fields and you can check in. You can do that online, and if you were Worshiping us online, we would love for you to just kind of go to the chat, the chat box and just say hi. Whether you're on Facebook or you're online, just say hi in that chat box and that will be great. Hey, there are a number of ways that we give and you know that giving is a part of worship. And so we worship together and we give together and there are a number of ways you can do that. There are buckets if you're in an auditorium as you leave out of here, but there are also ways that you can do it online. And we encourage you to, to go ahead and do that online. And we we want to thank you for all your faithfulness uh, in giving throughout these last three, four months. And want to thank you so far. We, I think we've raised about $32,000 or more in the Thanksgiving offering. So we are on our way. So that's a hand clap kind of a situation. At least I'm clapping. So thank you for that. We appreciate that. And hey, we want to tell you about a couple of things coming up that the, um, the children and student ministries, uh, Family Connect Ministries, have a, they have a reef decorating contest. And so we want you to pick up your reefs uh, on Monday and take them home and decorate them and get them whatever. You, you can make them ugly. You can make them good looking, whatever you want to do. And then you're going to take a picture and you're going to upload it to the Family Connect website. Um, or the Journey website, and then they will judge those reefs. And then next Sunday, next Sunday, the ugly mask contest. I mean, we might as well have some fun with this, right? If we got to wear a mask, if we got to have the mask on, we might as well have some fun with it. So I was at, I went to a couple of places looking for some ugly mask stuff this week. So I went to Marshall's and and Michael's and different things like that. I couldn't find what I wanted to find, but I will find it. And so next week, take a mask, decorate it, make it really ugly, and then come in and we'll have an ugly reef contest. Let you also know about our Christmas services coming up. Of course, there will be Christmas service on Christmas Sunday or Christmas weekend, but then on the 23rd, on the 23rd, we're going to have a carols and a communion uh, service, and then on the 24th, we're going to also have a uh, New Year's, uh, New Year's, uh, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, Christmas Eve's uh, service. Hey, I want you to know that every announcement I made is in a daily, uh, weekly, I would call it, an e-newsletter. If you're not getting that, please let us know so that we can get that to you because all of these announcements are in that newsletter. I am so happy today. Uh, First of all, I'm not preaching, so I'm happy about that. But I'm so happy today to have... uh, to have my good friend um, and my uh, deeper dive partner, Pastor Kelly, who will be bringing the message for us this morning. Would you give Pastor Kelly a warm Salem Fields welcome? <laughs> Man, you know, we're so fortunate to have such a good looking guy as our pastor. And then James is good looking too. So <laughs> that's uh, anyway, just kidding. And wow, got a little ring going on. I like that. So, Rose, I know you hate his hair, right? I, I, I can't see you out there, but I, I beg you to, to change your mind. <laughs> I just love his hair so much. And I have such a hair crush on him. So, anyway, it makes me sad. Well, 
Welcome to the next stage of Christmas. We are moving from last week. We left in darkness, and thankfully we're moving into the light, which is kind of exciting. But before we kind of begin that, I want to just sort of talk about this superhero complex that we have in the world today. I mean, the highest grossing movies anywhere are superhero movies. Pretty much any time they come out. I mean, it, 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 when you dredge up Aquaman and like that becomes a blockbuster, you've done something in my opinion. You know, because I, I mean, no, no offense, but anybody that grew up watching the Super Friends knew that Aquaman was a joke. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, unless you're over water, the guy's useless. And, and so it's like, I mean, the, the, the Legion of Doom, all they had to do was move off the water. And all of a sudden, like, you've negated this entire guy. And so it's just like, what a waste of time. But we are desperate for superheroes. And it's interesting because I feel like it's, it's baked into our DNA that we're looking for something beyond ourselves. And so we're always trying to find the, the miraculous or the supernatural out of the common, right? And so you, you kind of start to wonder, like, where do these storylines come from? Uh, what, what's this all about? And I think that you will find that really a lot of it's based in, in the stories of Scripture. And I'm not going to say the written word of Scripture. I'm going to say the actual history of Scripture as it was passed down you start to, to see these motifs develop over and over and over again. And I think that's interesting. And it leads us a lot to what we're talking about when the light has come into the darkness. Because that's something we long for and we, we crave. My favorite superhero movie is not one that you would expect. It's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, right? I love that book and I love the, the storyline of that book. If you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis's work, he was one of the greatest apologists, defenders of the faith of all time. A wonderful man who went from atheist to super Christian, or at least super defender of the faith. Um, he's a, an incredible story, a prolific writer, and, a, and an absolute God-blessed genius uh, when it comes to explaining the faith to people, and somebody that, that I've always looked up to in my life. He wrote a series, The Chronicles of Narnia, detailing the Pevensey children, even before that, sort of how... Uh, Thing, like this world was created and darkness and all the stuff that, that happened. Now, I'm going to spoil the movie for you. So if you haven't seen it, first off, you're a weirdo, right? If you haven't read it or seen it, then I mean, I pity you. I so much pity you. And I would beg you to go home and like pick it up on Netflix or whatever. If you have to buy it, I'll send you a check for $1.99, whatever. Just watch the movie. Man, it's worth watching. What's cool about this movie is you've got sort of all the epic setup. That, that we long for in life. And, and really, the, 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 what you need to understand is this series was based on Scripture. C.S. took the story, the meta-narrative, the overarching narrative of Scripture, and turned it into these fantastic children's stories, even though adults are fascinated by them as well. So in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, what you have is this cold, dark place called Narnia. At this point, You've got these kids that, that find their way into this place. It's snowy, it's cold, it's dark, it's oppressive, it's just not good, right? So as they're kind of roaming around, they, they, they're walking through what we would call a winter wonderland unless you live there 24-7. It's funny, we love snow unless you live around it all the time, right? The people in Alaska do not love snow for the most part, you know what I mean? Like, they're done with it. They've, they've been there, they've had it. People in Minnesota, it's like it's really fun until you get 10 feet on your roof and you have to figure out how to get that off. So everybody in Narnia is over the cold. They're over the snow. In fact, Christmas never comes. Time has frozen in this winter nastiness. And the, the place is dark. And all the creatures of Narnia that, that are good 
are craving the light. They're craving something to come. But you can tell as you speak to them, as the, the, the Pevensey children speak to these creatures, they, they, the first thing that they come up with is darkness and silence are real. It suffocates. It, it's endless seeming. Right? And so this is where they are. These kids are, are, are roaming around and all they see are these forlorn, broken animals and, and, and creatures that are longing for the light, but they're stuck in silence and stuck in this oppressive darkness. Have you ever felt that way? Really, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, this is the, the condition of the human heart without a relationship with Christ. That's really the bottom line. A seemingly endless and cold and dark place that we will do anything to try to overcome. So let me give you a little bit of a refresher. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on the movie again in a moment. But last week, Pastor James set us up by talking about Ahaz, right? A, a king of Judah. At this point, the, the kingdoms had split. There's Judah and there's Israel, okay? So they're a divided kingdom at this point. And uh, it's not a good situation. Things are bad. Israel's attacking Judah because they want to reclaim what they feel like is their birthright. Judah's fending off Israel. They're, they're fighting back and forth. They've done exactly the opposite of what God's wanted them to do, which, by the way, he predicted from the very beginning. So, but what you need to, the takeaway that we learned last week was Ahaz was a bad king. All right, he's a bad guy. Why was he a bad guy? Well, because he chose to pursue false gods, one that God specifically hates, Molech, who he absolutely hates. And why does God hate this particular false god? Because the demand of Molech was that you sacrifice children, the, the, the young born, the, the newly born, you sacrifice them in the fire to earn his favor. And, and if you want to know the, the love and the compassion and the heart that God has for people and has for, for humanity, you can see it in his visceral hatred for those who abuse and take the lives of the innocent. Man, God hates it, hates it. And so what Ahaz does is he's attacked from the north and he, he fends them off, but he's worried because if they keep coming, he's not going to be able to maintain his kingdom. So he goes to Assyria to, to enemies of the world at this point, the strongest kingdom that he could possibly get his hands on, and goes to Tiglath Pileser and says, Will you, that's the king, by the way, of Syria, Assyria, will you help me? Will you? I, I'm your son, I'm your vassal, right? You own us. He says, I, I'm like a son to you, meaning I, I will do whatever you want from me. Problem number one, he goes to a foreign king and pledges his vassalhood, which means we will do anything that you want us to do. Just protect us. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's a shrewd political move. Because if, if you're going to go to somebody and you're going to get beat up anyway, you might as well make friends with the biggest bully around so that, that they will protect you against the little bullies that are a pain in the butt. And then you just deal with the one bully who happens to be a good long way away. And because he's that far away, most likely he'll leave you alone, you hope. Now that's probably what he was thinking. But when he goes up there, James tells us about the real problem 
is that when he goes uh, it, and he ends up going to Damascus, he sees the temple to the false god and he says, man, that's amazing. I want our temple to look like that. Don't forget, God told them exactly how he wanted the temple in Jerusalem to look, how it was to function. He laid it all down. There was no question. He goes and falls in love with this, sends word back to his builder, I want this this." Um, altar built exactly like the one I've seen here and by the time I get back I want it up and running so he comes back and make a long story short defiles the temple completely takes the altar that God built that God wanted specifically built to atone for the sins of the people and sets it on the outside of the camp takes the great uh, sea of bronze the, the the cleansing sea the cleansing water of God and puts it on the ground then he goes so far as to completely move the priests aside. He does the sacrifices. He throws the blood onto the false altar. He takes the position of everybody as prophet, priest, and king. Do you see the problem here? He has taken over God's position. He says, we no longer need you. I've got this guy. That he's going to protect us, so I don't need your protection, God. And number two, I don't need you as God. I got this. And he, he just moves the entire, the entire uh, uh, system that God had set up for his people, and he just kills it. He was a bad king. So why is this important, you're probably wondering. Well, it's important because we can look back to Abraham. And, and again, I don't want to belabor the point of history, but this is fascinating to me. And I hope it is to you, because these, these things... They aren't randomly placed in Scripture. They aren't randomly written about. And God didn't randomly just drop these things in there. Some real important things happen. First off, Abraham, who was formerly called Abram, comes from the area up in, the, in, in Canaan, in Assyria, in that area, essentially where um, Ahaz is looking for help now. He comes out of what a place called the Ur of the Chaldees. And worshiping, by the way, infant killers... Their gods were infant killers. So this is it's interesting because it's the same thing. God calls him from that. And then you know the story. He, he promises to give him a son. He leaves his home. He starts wandering to a place that God was going to tell him where to go. Of, of very, very much interest. At one point, God makes a covenant with his people. And this is, I want you to understand how cool God is and how amazing. I've told you the story before about the suzerain treaty. And I'm going to tell you again, but it's It's cool. In that day, the might was right. That's just the way it was. If you were a wise ruler, you would conquer a, a, a country. But instead of wiping them out, what you would do is you would take their king and you would make a deal with him, essentially, a covenant. And the covenant went like this. You would take, here, and online folks, thanks for watching, by the way. We're going to do a little fun contest for you. I'm going to say a word, and the first person that could put in the chat what the meaning of the word is, the first person, Pastor Chris, will send you a Wawa gift card. <laughs> or Pastor Jason, whomever's online right now. Yeah. So it doesn't, I don't even care who it is. They're going to do it. So <laughs> I swear, <laughs> I, was just, I mean, it'll probably be me. It'll be me doing it, okay, because I can't promise other people's money. So what they would do is they would take animals and bifurcate them. Joel, you know the word? Yes, bifurcate them, lay them on either side of a path. The blood from these animals would spill into the path. The strong king 
The one who's the, 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 the bigger king, the sovereign we would call him, would take the vassal or the weaker king and he would grab him by the neck and walk him through the blood. And every time they would get to one of the carcasses, the king would remind him, if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen to you. If you disobey me, this is what's going to happen to your people. If you disobey me, this is what's going to happen to your children. And he would remind him over and over, if you don't keep your promise to me, this is what's going to happen to you. Blood. Very visceral reminder. We call it the suzerain treaty because the stronger of the two kings was called the suzerain. Now, why is this important? Because God makes a covenant with Abram. And what he does is they cut the animals, bifurcate them, which means cut in half. I'll let you off the hook now. They cut them in half. He lays them out. Abraham is familiar with this. This is not like, what are you doing, God? Why are we cutting animals in half? This is weird. He knows what's going to happen. And he's fully expecting God to grab him by the neck and walk him through because he's heard of it and seen it done who knows how many times. But instead, God walks the path. Here's what God said. I don't want to drag this out. God said, I need to make a covenant with you. I need you to do this, this, and this. Here's what I want from you. But because I know that you can't keep your promises to me, I will be the one responsible for it. So when you break your promise, it's going to be me that walks the bloody path. Do you see what's going on here? God says, I know that you can't even keep a promise. But I'm still going to be on the hook for your failure. That's amazing. Because when we fast forward to Ahaz, we failed. We officially broke the covenant. It was over. So what's the next step? Somebody's got to pay in blood. So that's where we are at this point. Here we are. We're left in this place of utter darkness. What's interesting to me is, God forbids idolatry and he promises extreme consequences. All through scripture, in Exodus 20, God says, you'll make no other, there'll be no other gods besides me. You'll make no idols about, uh, uh, different than me. Nothing, you'll worship no one but me. I am God. And if you don't keep this promise, there will be blood. Man. The book of Malachi, which is the last book in the First Testament, Yes, I call it the First and Second Testament. Why don't I call it the Old Testament? Because I don't think it's old. It may be chronologically old. It may be in years old. But the message is fresh every day. So I'm not telling you not to call it the Old Testament because you've been raised that way. And it's written in almost every Bible you have. But I like to call it the First Testament. Just in case you're wondering. Malachi summarizes God's thoughts, right, on this crazy cycle of disobedience. James just happened to pick that particular story because it was momentous, but it was one of a thousand. Okay, the entire First Testament is is rife with these cyclical failures of the people uh, to some degree over and over and over again. This one just really stunk. I mean, he really went for it. Ahaz just really went for it. You know what I mean? He knocked disobedience out of the park. 
And so it was a good choice on his part. Malachi is, is like, I think being the prophet Malachi would have been the most interesting thing because like, I mean, you've got Isaiah, which, which uh, Pastor James used a lot of, which was kind of a cool thing. You know, Isaiah's sort of talking about what's going to happen and what has happened. Jeremiah, which I, we made fun of on Deeper Dive, is the weeping prophet. Like he had nothing but bad news, essentially. But all these prophets had their little pigeonhole. Malachi on the one hand, God basically, he sets Malachi down, right, with a pen and paper. He's like, it's, it's like the airing of the grievances from Seinfeld, right? Like, there's this, this moment where he's like, I got a lot of problems with you people, right? And I'm going to lay it all down here. Like, he just lays it out, and Malachi's like, whoa, man, this is bad. You know, I mean, have you ever done that? Like, you're writing something, you're like, whoo, this is not good, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not going to go good at all when this person reads this, right? And so Malachi's like writing. I can only imagine he's like, good gosh, man, like for real? So chapter one, you can look this up for yourself. It's a fun read. Short book. It's, it's a lot of fun. Chapter one, God tells the people, I don't want your polluted sacrifices. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want you just following rules and trying to do things that you think are right to make me feel good. I don't want it. They're polluted. You see, God demanded certain sacrifices. Not only had they defiled the temple at this point anyway, they had wrecked the entire uh, altar. They, they killed the, the basin of purity. They, they just messed the entire thing up. They still keep trying to sacrifice, to appease God. And God says, I don't want your polluted sacrifices. I don't want it. I don't need it. You've already failed. And then we move on to chapter 2 in Malachi. Your priests are evil and you break your promises. So not only do I, I don't want your stupid sacrifices that you leave over for me, that you wouldn't even give to just a common governor, you wouldn't even give him that without the fear of him uh, coming back to you, but you try to give it to me. Then he says, the priests who you've selected that are supposed to lead the country in worship they suck. I don't want them either. They're bad. They're, they're, they're not good. They're, they're disobedient and they're evil and they break promises. And you break promises. There's a lot of grievances God has to air out here. But then in Malachi 3, he still does a little bit of laying out. But then he says, I'm doing something to resolve this. I mean, it's, it's interesting when you read it because it's like bad, 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 bad. Oh, I'm going to do something. Like, you might remember if you had a parent that had any sort of structure whatsoever, and you, you kind of crossed the line, and it's almost like you just keep like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? And, and then they're like, oh, I'm going to do something. You know, there's this hanging threat in the air that's like, what are you going to do? Because at first, you're like, oh, do it then. You know, like kids today, man, oh, Go, go on then, do it, right? Like back in my day, I don't know but some of you, but I know if I sat in front of my dad and I'm like, well, do it then. He'd be like, okay, you got it, buddy. You got the right guy. <laughs> He's like, you, this is perfect because I've been wanting to do this to you for a while. You know, I just needed an excuse. Like these days, you catch a case if you try to discipline your kid. But, you know, but God says, oh, I'm going to do something to resolve this. And if, if you just left it there, you'd be like, oh, man, that does not sound good. But then in Malachi 4, 
God thankfully lets the people off the hook. He says, light's coming. See, here's the thing that I think we get wrong. We think that the light had disappeared or there was no light at all. But the truth of the matter is, creation itself was a function of light. Creation itself began with light. The light never went away, folks. We did everything we could to throw dirt on it and try to snuff it out. The enemy did everything he could to to dissuade people from looking at the light, looking for the light, or being a part of the light. I mean, society itself had done everything it can to extricate itself from the light, but the light never went away. It never went away. Even if we couldn't see it, even if we had our backs turned to it, it never went away. And God reminds us in Malachi 4, he says, the light's on the way. We're going to do this again. And what you're going to find here is, it is a complete recreation. It's about to happen. A shoot had sprung up from the stump of Jesse. A stump that had no business of growing, that was better off to rot, that was doing nothing of value, just sitting there rotting down to the core, only to be used for fat wood to start a fire once it's completely uh, crystallized. I'm looking up a pine tree, by the way. The next, the next thing you know, this sprig pops up right in the middle. In the midst of darkness, light shines. 400 years of darkness and silence. The weight of our consequences are extreme. You see, at the end of Malachi, there's 400 years of silence from God. Now, that may not seem like a big deal because you've got people who really don't want to hear from God and they don't kind of, they, they're, they're not really interested in what God's saying in the first place. And by the way, let me, let, me, let me shoot you back on this. Remember Genesis 15, the suzerain treaty with Abraham that I was talking to you about? Interestingly, God promises Abraham, he says, by the way, your children are going to be in bondage, taken away to a foreign land in bondage for 400 years but I'm going to take care of it. Now, that happened in Egypt. The, 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 the children of God were, were in Egypt for 400 years in bondage, and then God sent a light to a man named Moses, right? A burning bush. Do you remember the story? A light springs up in the middle of the desert, which would get anybody's attention, and Moses listens to God, says yes to God, and leads his people out of captivity. One light, one man leads the people out of 400 years of oppression. And guess what? Here we are again, 400 years. During this time, a lot's happening. You may think that the people didn't want to hear from God, but have you ever been like in that silent space where you're defiant at first, like again, let's use the parent-kid thing, or, or just anybody really, but you, you're in an argument with somebody, or you're mad at somebody, and they're mad at you, and at first you're like, fine, don't talk to me then. I don't want to hear from you anyway. And then it drags on. And then it goes on further, and more, and more. I can tell you there's nothing quite as painful as loving somebody, even when you're mad at them, and they ignore you constantly i mean not just ignore you but like turn their back on you like they're they ghost you they're nowhere to be found that stinks and this is where the people are 400 years god doesn't say a word nothing no miracles 
No fire, no smoke, no interaction, no prophets, no nothing. 400 years of silence, cold, loneliness, 400 years. But what did God tell us in Malachi 4? Light's coming. The light's coming. And believe it or not, during those 400 years, there were still people who were waiting on that light. Let's move on. God chose a specific time to send the light into the world. John 1, 1 through 16. Let me read this to you real quick. You would think reading 16 verses is not quick, but it is. And the ones that are important are going to show up on the screen for you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Shekinah, the glory of all the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Praise God for his word. So, here's what's happening. The Pevensey children are walking around, and they meet a couple of animals who are still clinging to the belief and the truth that something was going to change in Narnia. You see, there was a witch who had ruled the land for a long, long time. And what she did to them was made it cold all the time, dark all the time, and nasty all the time. That's how she oppressed the people. She stole their hope. And the fact that they had no hope, no hope of Christmas coming, no hope of change, no hope of spring, no hope of anything except more cold and more loneliness, she was breaking the people. That was her goal. Keep them broken. Keep them hopeless. Keep them focused on survival. Keep them focused on themselves. And so she oppressed them through this silence and this coldness, this nastiness. But there were a few who still believed and still clung to the fact that the hero was going to come back one day. You see, the hero of the story was Aslan the lion. Jesus. That's what C.S. was modeled Aslan on, Jesus. And Aslan the lion was supposed to come back one day. The old stories told them that one day he was going to come and break the yoke of the witch and bring Christmas back and bring spring, melt the snow, bring hope someday. But only a few hung on and clung to this hope. And so the stories foretold this coming. The Pevensey children are walking around and they, they bump into a, a family of beavers. And I love the, this point because the beaver says to them, 
He, he like whispers, he's like, Aslan is on the move. He's back. He came back. The stories are true. The light has come back into the world. What's going to happen? You see, in the midst of silence, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of, of chaos and all the things that are happening, the light was still coming back. Hope springs eternal. In the midst of our chaos and our silence and our coldness and our COVID, the light is coming back. Hope springs eternal. That's the point of this story. You may feel like you're in 400 years of isolation. Everything is going wrong. But there's a story passed down through generation to generation to generation that says the light is coming back. Now you may be saying to yourself, well, it did come back. Back then, now what? That's a good point. Fair, fair question. Oh, let me flip to my next page. Look at me making progress like a boss. <laughs> Why? That's right. And this is a new shirt. You can tell because the line's on it. So I felt like I could have ironed it and, and made you think it was an old shirt. But if I leave the lines on it, you know I brought out a brand new shirt just for you. <laughs> so it's because of that that I didn't iron it. <laughs> It has nothing to do with the fact that I live by myself and am super lazy and don't care. So why at this point in history did, did Jesus come back? That's really the, the question. Like, why not today? You know, I think some of us could say, you know what? It'd be really cool if he came back right now. But why at that point in history? Well, let's talk about Rome. Okay. Let's talk about Rome for a second. At that moment in history, idolatry was at a peak. God's people were broken, worship was dry and empty, darkness filled the land and the hearts, all hope was gone. Right? That's what was going on at that time. Idolatry was at a peak. People were searching for truth, if it even existed, they were searching for hope, they were looking for something outside of themselves. It was at a pinnacle. Power and might and bloodshed, were, that's what made right in that time. Worship was dead and empty and cold. People were hopeless, easily dominated. It was a bad time. Military solutions had failed. During the 400 years of silence, there were a group of people that said, you know what, maybe, maybe God's waiting on us to do something. Maybe we need to take, uh, take the initiative here. All right, it's the, the Maccabeus family. We call it the Maccabean revolt, right? The hammer. They're, what they did was they gathered a bunch of like-minded people and they said, we're going to fight. And maybe God, if he sees us fighting and he sees us trying to overthrow this evil oppressor and get rid of this Rome and to stand for God, maybe, maybe if we're faithful to God and we show him that we're willing to shed blood for him again, maybe he'll come back. Didn't work. They got crushed. Easily. I mean, it makes for an interesting story if you ever uh, saw the movie Masada back in the day, but it's an interesting story. But they, they got absolutely hammered. <laughs> to use, that's what Maccabeus means, hammer. And they got hammered, I assure you of that. And they won a couple of skirmishes, but it didn't look good. Religious solutions had failed. All right? The priesthood could be bought. It, God was the one who established a lineage of priests and how to select the priest and the next high priest. At this point, you could buy it. 
You could, you could go to the Roman governor and say, look, how much do, do I have to pay to become the high priest? And he would just make you the high priest. So religion had failed. Military had failed. Philosophy, all their solutions had failed. Every flight of fancy was indulged. In fact, the watchword or a phrase of the day was, what is truth? You may have heard this when Pontius Pilate stands before Jesus and, and Jesus starts talking about truth, and, he, and Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? That wasn't a one-off phrase. That was the watchword of the day. What's truth anyway? You see how, how conniving and how deep silence and coldness and emptiness can be? You try to fight it. You try to religious it. You create these, these machinations, and if I do this and this, if I pray five times a day and I do all these things and I do this, somehow I'll be able to climb out of this no good. Philosophy, you start to question truth all, you know, all by itself. Basically, you're pulling up the blanket over your head saying, maybe nothing's out there anyway. So why do I care if I can't see God? <coughs> Excuse me. That was loud. There's no options left at this point. Perfect for a but God moment. All options over 400 years had failed. Military, religion, philosophy, everything failed, perfect for a but God moment. God never stops redeeming humanity, and he hasn't stopped now. This story is not a history lesson. It may sound that way, but I, I want to just, the last couple of minutes, I want to belabor this point to you. This is not a history lesson of when Jesus came into the world, because here's the cool part. He keeps coming over and over and over again. The light is still coming day after day. And we have to acknowledge our personal Rome. Folks, you, you may, I, I know there's some, some saints in here, and I, and I love you for that. I'm thankful for your journey and, and that. But I want you to take a minute, you saints. There might be some sinners in here too, people that walked in and just said, man, this is all brand new to me. I don't know what's going on, but I'm willing to listen to you. And some people that just wish they weren't here at all. I don't care where you are on this journey. I don't care where you are in your faith journey. Everybody has a Rome. We all have this kingdom inside of us that tries anything that we can to banish the darkness. Man, can, can I be honest with you? Last night, I wrestled with my own personal darkness. I, I, I couldn't sleep. I laid in bed because I was thinking over all the things that I've tried to make myself feel less alone. And... The, you know, I, I call it the theater of the mind, right? When you're laying in bed, lights are off, you're looking up at the ceiling and, and you just replay what's going on and, and what's happening. I'm, I'm seeing all these instances of me trying to manipulate relationships around me to make myself feel less alone. What a lie from the enemy. That's the lie. You hear and you're, there is no light. You're stuck in the darkness. So you just got to do what you got to do. Get yours. You, you make people fall in love with you. You, you do what you got to do. It doesn't matter what you, what you say or do. None of that matters because there's no truth anyway, Kelly. Just, just get people to like you and, and, and make you feel good about yourself and just keep it going. Keep those plates spinning, man. That's what he wants to do to me. Is he doing it to you? That's your Rome. Some of you fight. Some of us fight. Some of us bury our heads in religion. Some of us bury our heads in, in flights of fancy and philosophy. But God, 
but God. Many of us are in the same spiritual condition as when Jesus was born. That's why he's got to keep coming back. That's why it couldn't be a one and done. Because he knew that the kingdom of the heart, the realms of each one of us, needed to be conquered day after day after day. Self-worship doesn't satisfy. Be honest with ourselves, right? We've, we've all tried to be our own God. It doesn't work at all. Self-worship doesn't satisfy. Seeking power leads us feeling alone, cold, and dark. Making it up the corporate ladder, seeking personal power, dominating a family, dominating your friend groups, dominating whatever, trying to be powerful and strong, just leaves you going to bed cold, empty, and alone. Doesn't work. We create religious processes, but it's empty and unfulfilling, just like us. The religions that we create are cold and dead and lifeless, just like the people who created them. It doesn't work. We question, question truth in hopes that if we can destabilize truth, then we'll feel safe. Because if there is no truth, there's no accountability. Again, it's like a child pulling the blanket over their head and pretending that nothing exists outside of the blanket. It's nonsense. But it feels right at the time, doesn't it? We're in the right place for a but God moment. We are in the right place today for a but God moment. So what can we do? Number one, remember the light. What do you do when you feel this way and you acknowledge the truth of your Rome? Well, remember the light. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. What was the first move of creation? Let there be light. John takes us all the way back to the first creative moment. Remember the light. Who is the light? Jesus. Remember the light of creation. Jesus. If you want to overthrow your Rome, remember the light. Secondly, see the light. John 1, 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why do we get together and do this? Why do we, we, we gather? Why do the millions gather across the globe? Some of them putting their very lives on the line to gather because they see the light. It's great to remember the light, but that's not all. See the light. It's here. It's available. If you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I don't see it, it's here. It's available. It's the name of Jesus. It's here. See the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Spread the light. You remember it. You see it. Spread it. 
John 1, 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John, his entire life, as crazy as it was, had one mission and one mission alone. Look to the light. See the light. My job, John said, was to remind you the light was coming. It was all always here, but God renewed it out of the 400 years of darkness and nothingness. The light and the shoot springs up from the stump. The light shines in the darkness and nothing overcomes this light. See it. John, his entire life, every moment of it was spreading the light. That amazes me. He was about that mission. Folks, if you're in here and you've been a believer for any length of time, and I mean any length of time, this is your job. It's my job. Spread the light. It's not enough to hold it inside. Spread it. What did Jesus tell us? What, do you light a candle and put it underneath Something so no one can see it? No, you take the lid off so it lights the whole house. That's what light does. Always pushes back the darkness. And lastly, look forward to the light. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There are days when you will wake up and say, I am once again in the silence. I don't hear God. Where are you, God? It's dark. It's cold. I feel alone. I don't know what's happening. I remember the light. I'm having a hard time seeing the light. I can't spread what I can't see. What do I do? Look forward again to the light. That is, that's synonymous with Hope. That's why we keep doing what we're doing because we look forward to the day when we can say we don't need a sun or a moon, right, James? Because the light of God illuminates everything. That's the light we long for. Sometimes all you can cling to is hope. There are days when there's nothing left but hope. You see, the Pevensey children, they believed. They got to this place where they believed. And what was interesting is they started to, to believe and, and they thought, this is going to be good. Aslan's going to win. We're going to help them. We're going to get rid of this witch. But what ends up happening? Aslan trades his life for one of the Pevensey kids who had gone astray. He literally crawls up on top of this altar and has a dagger plunged into his heart to trade his life to save a wayward son. Darkness celebrated. Finally, eternal darkness. All of us no longer have to worry about the light. We've extinguished the light. But a few days later, the stone table cracks. Aslan returns 
The children questioned, how can this be? And Aslan says, the witch forgot about the deeper magic. That love and sacrifice conquered death. You can't extinguish this light. And so Aslan doesn't just get up from the stone grave. He goes and he frees all of those that have been trapped by the witch. He brings life and light and heat, warmth and color back to a dry and lifeless land. Light prevails. Why did Jesus come at that time? You know what? Doesn't matter. Because he's here today. And he's going to come again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. You see, each one of us, our Rome is shaking on a daily basis. And the Lord is beating at the gates. I'm not going to leave you alone. This is not over. The darkness won't win. I can cancel the darkness. My light is stronger. He's here for you and us. Next week, we're going to hear from Pastor Jason. You know what he's going to talk to us about? What happens when the light doesn't do what we think it should do? What happens when the light goes to places that should remain dark, we think? What happens when the light does exactly what light does. It crushes darkness. Thank God for the light. You know what my favorite closing scene from the movie is? And this is why I love our Lord so much. There's a moment when everybody is celebrating the great victory that happens. The witch has been defeated. Good, goodness and light wins. Life has returned to Narnia and Lucy Pevensey, the youngest of the Pevensey children, is standing with the gopher. And kind of, they're in their castle and they're looking down. And they see Aslan, who has slipped away from the party. And he's walking away. And Lucy starts to talk about Aslan. And the beaver stops her and says, oh, make no mistake. Aslan is a wild lion. He's not tame. He's wild. There's something magical about that. Our God is wild. He's not a God that we've created in our box. He's wild. And he's wildly in love with us. And he wildly hates darkness. Don't let your Rome last another day. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your light. Thank you for freeing us. Thank you for the opportunity of freedom, my Lord. Thank you that your light never left this place. No matter what we've done, the light is still here. Thank you for coming 2,000 years ago. But God, I thank you more for in my life coming 20 years ago. And I thank you for some of my friends who I can say, and I think of my, my best friend, when your light showed up in his life six months ago. 
And I thank you for every person who is standing at the door of their room and they're wondering, is this it? And light is just on the other side. Give them the strength and the courage to open themselves up to the light. Saint, if you're in here, make no mistake, the roam of your heart tries every single day to recapture its territory, but it can't prevail against the light. Questioner, you're wondering, what is this real? Yeah, it is. The light is real. And there are many of us that have been freed by it. You can too. It is as simple and as profound as turning to the Lord Jesus and saying, I want your light in my life. Banish my darkness. Give me hope. And he will. But make no mistake, he's wild. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. I mean, that's worth a hand clap this morning. Thank God for his word and his, and his messenger this morning. We thank you for being here, whether you're worshiping us online or here in the auditorium. We appreciate you. We know there are plenty of places that you can be on a Sunday morning and so, or a Saturday evening or whenever you watch this online. And we thank you for joining us here. I want you to continue to have a seat. The ushers will come in and dismiss you. I want you to remember as you go back out, I'll leave here. I'll put my mask back on. I'll go back out. I'll greet you out there. But as we go back out, keep those masks on and let's try to keep the safety distancing as we leave this place. I know it's easy. I'm the worst offender. I want to come and talk to you and kind of shake your hand and do all that kind of stuff. But uh, as, uh, as COVID rages, we want to kind of keep things going well here and, and be safe here. And uh, as uh, Pastor Kelly said, there's hope because one day this thing is going to be over. Thanks be to God. God bless you. Love you guys. Well, it's me, Pastor Jason. We're so glad that we decided that you uh, decided to join us for uh, worship today. You know, we want to make sure you're staying connected throughout the week, and there's great ways to do that. You can get involved in our small groups. Just email us at smallgroups at salemfields.com. Make sure you're tuning in to the Deeper Dive, and if you ever have any questions, you can always email us at info at salemfields.com. We hope to see you back next week, and uh, stay tuned for our uh, continued uh, Christmas services, and we are hoping that you have a great week. God bless.